right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the No Laying Up Golf Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Randy. We have a great show for you today. It's a two-parter. In the first part, I'm going to be joined by Cody McBride, the Sarge. We're going to break down some of the news and happenings in and around women's golf. We're going to react to the last couple tournaments on the Asian swing. We're going to talk briefly about this week's Malaysia event. But then in part two, I think the uh, the real meat of the episode, we are joined by Gabby Ruffles. We have an excellent conversation with her that I think everybody's really going to enjoy. Before we get into things, though, I want to thank our good friends at Titleist. This episode is brought to you by Titleist, the number one ball in golf, and the overwhelming choice of players on the LPGA Tour, including Gabby Ruffles. Good timing. Gabby was the number one player this year on the Epson Tour, leading a group of 10 graduates who earned their LPGA Tour cards for next season. And all 10 of them, all 10, played either a Pro V1 or Pro V1X golf ball. Week in and week out, more players on the game's biggest stages rely on the performance and consistency of Titleist. Gabby plays a Pro V1. I play a Pro V1X. 78% of competitors this season on the LPGA Tour have teed up a Pro V1 or Pro V1X. That is unbelievable. And listeners, choosing the right golf ball is all about flight, spin, and feel. And Titleist has a choice for every player looking to shoot their lowest scores. Just head to Titleist.com to find out which ball is right for your game. Thank them very much for supporting what we do. And now let me get out of the way. As I said, part one is a conversation with Cody McBride and myself, and then be sure to stick around for part two, where we are joined by Gabby Ruffles. My good friend, the Sarge, Cody. Welcome, sir. How are we today? Big, we're tired. I don't know how much more nighttime golf I can take. (laughs) We got two more weeks, buddy. I feel like this stretch of golf, I'm doing the best that I can. I've been trying to stay late. I've been waking up early. I've been DVR and things to try to cut, get caught up. But man, if I'm feeling this way as a spectator, I don't even know how these women are, are doing this halfway home, four weeks on the road, not just four weeks on the road, but bouncing all over the place. It's truly an impressive feat. And you're well, and you got, you know, you got field trips to the pumpkin patch. You got uh, all day soccer events. I mean, these, these women, they, they don't have to do that also uh so you know i feel like you're you're putting in extra dad duty on top of everything well not to uh thank you for the hardship tour that i am am on but i mean they're out there grinding away playing (laughs) professional golf and i understand they get it they get to travel to some amazing places all around the world but it's a grind i know that i i listen we get jet lag going on like our little three four day trips that we do buddy I can I cannot I I imagine how, this feeling that they're on right now. It's it's absolutely insane. Well, shout out the uh, shout out the physio, shout out the support teams. I think that's where uh, those folks really become important for the athletes. But 
Code man, a lot, a, a lot happening since you and I and and TC, we were all on the last LPGA specific episode. But let's start right here. We had talked a lot about Lexi Thompson playing at the Shriners and what our expectations were. She has now done that. What what grade would you put on Lexi's week at the Shriners? And do you think she acquitted herself well? Wow, the grade right off the top. I would say. To answer your second part, yes, I think she acquitted herself very, very well. I think she exceeded most expectations by the way that she handled herself, the golf that she played, and and how she was able to kind of not only take her game, but kind of display what we see week in and week out from the rest of these amazing players on the LPGA Tour, Ladies European Tour, you name it, and showcase that uh, competing against the men. And she did not make the cut. And I know that we had a lot of back and forth in the previous episode of like, what would success be here? And I think making the cut is, obviously that's everybody's goal, right? Every time they tee it up, they want to be able to play all four rounds. They want to be able to make it to the weekend. But I think all in all, I'm going to give Lexi an A- minus for this episode. I think she exceeded all of my expectations. I would have given her a flat A if it wouldn't have been those two putts coming down the last and I understand that she was kind of outside the bubble uh, by the time that she got there but she gave a, a heck of a fight that Friday you know she was inside the line then she was gonna you know the line was gonna move and then she was outside and then just you know that's Lexi and honestly from the amount of time that we've invested in watching her if that didn't happen then that's truly not Lexi golf so it finally came it, it probably uh opened some people's eyes and made it seem like it was a lot more dramatic than it was, but she was already going to miss the cut anyway, but heck of a performance. She should be very, very proud of, of herself. Her team should be proud of of her and, and everybody else, because I truly think it was a, a win across the board. I agree with you. I, I agree completely. I, I remember we had talked about, wow, if she can break 150 for the two days, right? Keep it under, keep it under 150. And man, she shot even par for the two rounds, 73 round one, which was two over, and then comes back round two with a 69. And like you said, birdied uh, or uh, excuse me, bogeyed her 17th hole that day, missed a birdie putt on her 18th. I mean, she she really had a look to make the cut there, which would have been, I mean, that would have been a plus plus. That's the most rarefied error. Uh, for any woman competing in a men's event. So I was I was super impressed. She she obviously acquitted herself well. She hit the ball really well, especially in that round in, in that second round. Um I, I think it was it was a rousing success. And I will say too, generated some interest. You know, we we saw some of the the TV ratings. I mean her rounds the, those first couple days were were actually much more viewed than the weekend golf. So a, a bit of a novelty, you know, getting people to tune in. But I, I think that's certainly, you know, I think mission accomplished for the Shriners. They're they're just in a spot where they're trying to attract eyeballs, and I think it's mission accomplished for Lexi. She she competed against the men. She beat a number of men, a lot of, you know, names that all of us recognize. Uh, and she looked like she belonged. It, it was a good course. It was a good event for her to compete in. And I guess my question then goes to what do you think the next opportunity might be for an LPGA player 
to compete in a men's event. Um, I, I know there's nothing really planned, and this one kind of came up out of the blue. But if 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 you were if if you could make these things happen, Cody, is there a certain player, a certain tournament that you would like to see come together uh, for something like this? There's a time and place for everything, Mister Big. We know that. I would say without getting too far ahead of ourselves, and again, congratulations to Lexi. I I can't wait to actually break down and, and look at the stats here because we actually have real stats. And like we get, you know, we don't get that week in, week out on the LPGA tour. But what I'll say first is that if Lexi or any other player is interested in doing this, they can go and play in the Scandinavian mixed. It's a, you know, men's and women's event co-sanctioned event by both the dp world tour and the ladies european tour anybody can go tee it up in the aussie open aussie open is a a tri-sanctioned event there's a men's professional portion a women's professional portion and a disabled or adaptive professional portion and i think if people are looking to go and try to to weigh or measure how the male professionals are playing against female professionals. I think those events are already great places to start. And we see, you know, majority of the, the Swedes go home and play in that Lynn is the only female to ever win on the DP world tour based off winning the Scandinavian mitts. And, you know, eventually that's going to happen at the Aussie event as well. Um, but other things, we know the Barbersol has played this before, you know, they played this card in the past. I wouldn't be surprised uh, thinking of other events that could use something like this or might try something like this. I could see Puerto Rico doing something like this because it's kind of the layout is very, very similar to Las Vegas. There's not a lot of water trouble. Length is not really that big of a concern. It's all about where everything lands on the calendar, right? But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on it? Well, my mind went to... Given that the LPGA, you know, the LPGA kind of has a funky schedule when they get their season going. Like this this year, they played the tournament tournament of champions in Orlando, uh, the third week of January, and then there wasn't another event for another month where they started the, their first Asian swing. So, so you have this time between the first of the year. And really late February. Now, I will say we haven't seen the LPGA's 2024 schedule yet, so I don't know if things will change. Um, this past year, the, the, the fit that I was thinking from an American perspective also, with the season that Lilia Vu has had, winning two majors, I mean, really taking the title of like best American female golfer at the moment, ranked number one in the world currently. If... An event like uh, the Palm Springs, the American Express, were to fall on a different week than that Tournament of Champions on the LPGA, I feel like that would be a cool event to get somebody like Lilia Vu specifically into. Uh, Southern Cal Roots, you know, they play it across a few different courses. That's where my mind goes. Now, I realize this is the start of the season on the PGA tour and all of those spots in these events, certainly in January are coveted. So it's, it's not necessarily the best time of the year to do that. I, I think the fall is a much better time or even some of these smaller events in the summer. So I, I, I get that part of it, but I guess in an ideal world, 
it would be something like Lilia playing in Southern California at an event like the American Express. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. And you're you're hitting the nail directly on the head there and saying that it's Lilia. I'm guessing strictly based off her hometown roots, being the number one player in the women's game right now. And I would say probably a pretty good course match around there. I hate that I you, would you, think, you, you know, blew over my that, yeah. My girl Lucy Lee, you know, she she does her home. <laughs> that's her home course. But I understand well, if we're we, looking. We just got to see form, a little bit more from Lucy. Yeah, right. we just got to see a little bit more. If I remember correctly, and and you know, we've been working the sources trying to figure out what's going on with the schedule because that caused a lot a, a a point of concern last year when it first came out, and Claire and everyone else was making these crazy Googlers, uh, little flight maps of how much the the women are traveling. And we've been beating this up. And if I remember correctly, the, you know, Q1 of next year's season looks a lot similar to how it it played out this year. And I think you have a, you have tournament of champions, if I remember correctly, at the, you know, beginning part of the year. And then there's an additional event. I think they just announced a drive on is going to be in Florida. I think that's, I think that's right. I falling up there. But if I remember correctly, like February, uh, is still pretty wide open. And I know it's a short month, it's a tough month, and there's a lot of things going on, and then you get into the first Asian swing. But I like the thought of that. What I do not like, and what I'm sure your DMs are going to get filled up with, and I'm sure people will get... No, uh, my DMs are off. Let's be very clear about true. that. All right, well, <laughs> what people would say would be, well, Mr. Big, with the way that the new signature series or signature events go on the PGA Tour and people trying to get points, those spots at that PGA Tour event are needed for players to actually make up points. I don't think that the the charitable component in Palm Springs, definitely, I don't think they need it. I don't think that's an event that's looking for uh, juice. Um and I would say that that outside of, you know, Vegas, I think this is like the the one unicorn. It fit in because you had people who were taking weeks off on the PGA Tour. You had an event that was kind of struggling because they're confused at what their identity actually is now because they no longer have, you know, all of these points and everything that would get people there to play. And I think it was a perfect timing thing. And I don't want to poo-poo your idea. I just think that when you look at it, it needs to be a very bold sponsor or very bold charitable component that is going to put it out there and say, no, this is what we want to do. And I don't know if Amex is that. Uh, I can't remember exactly how many different charities that events turned over. I don't think it's the, the bill and I mean, uh, Hillary Clinton foundation anymore. It's definitely not Phil and Amy. Uh, That was pretty quick. Were you about to say Bill and Monica? Was yes. that a Freudian slip? Okay. <laughs> uh, but who knows where it is? But I think that's what you would have to have the perfect alignment there. And I don't know. You would. I don't know where that's at. But I'll also no, say I, this I don't, is that yeah. we, we're reaching to the stars right now. And I, I understand that's what we do. That's what we, we dream on, man. Just like the great song says. But <laughs> why, why can Corn Fairy Tour events not do this? And that's, again, not that's, saying anything against an LPGA player or a, a ladies European tour player or anybody. I don't care. Why can't this happen at some of these corn fairy tour events who are truly looking for juice? I mean, if Steph Curry can go out there 
and come that damn close to making the cut out there, why why wouldn't that be a better paved route to prove the competitiveness of some of these players than going straight to a PGA Tour event? And I'm just I'm just asking questions here. Yeah, I guess my mind would go to if if from a standpoint of putting my shoes in, you know, Alexi or a Lilia potentially or a Nelly Corda, I, I think I would, I don't know. There's something to be said about like, I'm the best player in the world on the women's side. I want to go compete against like my peers on the men's side. I, I don't know. I, I just think there's more downside, right? If if a Lily or Nelly goes and bombs at a corn fairy event, it, it just adds to all the stereotypes that we know. And, you know, um, I, I, I think there's a bit of protection really putting them in a, a PGA Tour event. Yeah, I think that's a great question that we could ask Gabby about. Somebody who's been known to play in various yeah. city and state opens against men just signing up and playing in men only events playing in outlaw tour events when she didn't have anywhere else to play did you have any stats for lexi's week oh yeah buddy i was pumped about this because you know we talk about it a lot we don't get week in week out stats on the lpga tour uh i think the biggest one that jumped out at me and i think beth ann wrote an awesome piece of kind of what the week was and what you know, kind of lessons learned that we could take away from that. You can check her piece out, of course, at Golf Week. Um, Lexi ranks 12th on the LPGA Tour in total driving distance. She has an average of 270.7 yards. Again, we've gone through this before. LPGA only measures two holes each week for distance. Uh, Thompson often hits something other than driver on those tees, just like a lot of other players. Sometimes it just doesn't fit, and that's the, the hole that the tour is deemed to be, you know, the being measured that week. But during Shriners, Lexi carried a 301.2 yard driving average for her two rounds that put her right about 120th in the field. So towards the bottom end of the field, she had 20 of 28 fairways. That's T eight for the week. She had a 71.4% driving accuracy. Her longest drive recorded for the week was a, 316 yards again that puts her 129th at the bottom end of the field where she made uh you know tried to make the majority of that up was through her her ball striking and still uh right rain rate excuse me through her ball striking that put her about middle of the pack for all uh strokes gain data so strokes gain approach she was 94 strokes gain around the green 104 uh, and then surprisingly, putting, she was in the top half of the field with 1.153, 44th for the week, strokes gain putting. That was probably the biggest shocker, honestly. Huge. And, you know, That's we talk about driving standard. distance and stuff like that, but Shriners and the the TPC course that they played on, it kind of set up for her because we saw herself get on multiple par fives and two. She had zero eagles for the week, but she did have eight birdies, uh, 21 pars, and ended up Six bogeys and then the one double bogey to round out that even par, you know, two rounds that she had. But overall, I think what you look at it is that Lexi is one of the longest drivers on the LPGA Tour. And we can say wherever she's at in her career, I would say we're we're probably 
in the the back half of her career. It's not like she's getting too much longer, but she is one of the most fittest people, uh, not only in the women's game, but I would say in like in golf in general. She she's a legit athlete and she pounds the ball. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to Lexi. I was a bit dubious when I first heard the announcement, but really continuing a run of form that started at Solheim week. You know, she's she's turned it around. Folks had said that she had found something and she is playing much better golf. So good on her. We'll leave it there. Uh, next piece of news, Code Man. I saw Golf Digest had a, uh, a little story yesterday. The headline being the LPGA to award tour cards to top ladies European tour players starting in 2025. We had talked about back a couple months ago, there was a player meeting with tour leadership in Cincinnati and things had gotten a little contentious, I think is fair to say. And one of the main sticking points, they were debating whether to give these tour cards out immediately for the 2024 season. And I think based on pushback from pretty much every single side, they have made the decision, let's delay it. So beginning next year, the LET standings will take on a little added component where four players, the top four players off of the season-long LET race to Costa del Sol, they will be awarded LPGA cards. So uh, another avenue besides Q-Series for some folks to to earn status onto the LPGA tour. What do you what do you make of this? Not not surprising, I don't think, given you know stuff that we had heard and even talked about before. Not surprising. Happy to see that it went through. Happy to see that you know cooler heads prevailed on the actual timeliness of this. I thought it was a little nuts when they first announced it and they were trying to push it through, basically giving some not retroactive cards, but saying, yeah, all points that are in place this year, you're going to get, you know, the the cards are going to be awarded at the end of the 2023 year, which seemed a little silly. And I, I really felt for the majority of the European tour players who, you know, decided to take up and play majority of their season on the LPGA tour because they felt that like they had to keep status. So it was very... It, it was a bummer for them. I'm happy to see that it's actually going to take place. Their cards being awarded for the 2025 season. So all of next year, people can figure out their schedules, what is best for them. Ultimately, if you play good, you play good. You're going to pick up your card. Uh, it's not that big of a deal. But when you look at, again, talking about like scheduling, how crazy both the LPGA Tour schedule is and the ladies European Tour schedule is it gets a little bit silly so it's nice for them to be able to figure out what exactly is going on yeah uh, one additional nugget from that story uh, Golf Digest which I did not know it says the top 10 players this year on the ladies European race to Costa del Sol they will be exempt into Q series, which is the LPGA's final stage of qualifying school. That begins, we we just finished stage two, and now we've set the field for Q series, which begins at the end of November, the start of December, and that awards, I believe, 20 full-time LPGA cards, and then you get some, you know, mix LPGA Epson status and then pure Epson status. Um so for the top 10 on the ladies European tour this year that aren't already 
holding a card for next year. Good opportunity. If they so choose, they can go to Q Series and perhaps earn 2024 status uh, that way. So as you said, though, I think the the big thing is there there's some big formal partnership coming between the LPGA and LET. We just don't know exactly when, and we don't know exactly what that will look like, but all these little things are pointing to that occurring, I think, sometime in the near future. I don't know the end of this year, maybe sometime next year, but feels like that's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on stage two, finishing up there. Big, hearty congratulations to another young Swede coming up, Ingrid Limbad, obviously, the amateur sensation. God, she was fired up about her luggage. Yeah, luggage concerns, everything else like that. But it looks like everything is right. She got the sticks, fired rounds of 67, 66, 70, 67, 18 under to take medalist honors at stage two. And, a, you know, a great list of people who made it through. You got her, uh, Christina Kim, veteran. Good to see her playing finding form against Samantha Wagner, Kim Kaufman, uh, Amelia Garvey, Lily Thomas, the young amateur that we dealt and talked a lot about this year at the AIG Women's Open. Uh, Charlotte Heath made it through stage two. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Some disappointings, uh, people who missed it for us, people who obviously close to us and the young hitter program. LaCarabi fell just short, not making it through stage two to get into Q series. And then surprisingly, you know, based off form and really how they played in stage one, former U S women's and champion Jensen castle, you know, I've, I've given her shit on this podcast before about the horrible, horrible fit that the university of Kentucky outfits her with at the Anwa. Uh, she unfortunately did not make it through to stage two. One of my favorite players in the world, uh, Anna Morgan. She unfortunately did not make it through to stage two as well. But, you know, they'll finish out their senior year in college right now. And I'm sure they're going to go ahead. Amari Avery. Sorry, yeah, well, Amari Avery, another big name there that yep. did not make it through. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot. They're finishing up school. They'll have, you know, we'll see all of them at Anwa again. And then we'll see who knows. Maybe it'll catapult them. I, I, this goes back big. We've talked about this a couple times too. Why is Ingrid playing in stage two? You know, when you look at advances uh, on the PGA Tour, specifically with the success that PGA Tour U has had, why in the world does Ingrid have to miss a, a collegiate tournament and bounce all over the world to try to get, you know, down? down to Florida to play in stage two when there's, there's just nothing set up for them. I, she's the number one women's amateur in, in the world. I, she's played in everything. What, what is the holdup and why has nobody thought about this? And if they have, like, why aren't we just making this happen? I know it's a great question. I, I feel like Molly commissioner Molly has even touched on this, that, that it is a need. I will say our own Jordan Perez, this is something that gets her very fired up. She's planning to write more about this uh, as we get nearer to Q series, but it's, it's a great question. I think the PGA tour U program has been successful and it's good to get the college guys, uh, the most successful college guys, give them a pathway. And I feel like it would be just as good for 
these young ladies uh, to have the same opportunity. And I think it would just help market them, right? Like it, it, it helps. I feel like it, it will help everybody um, getting these recognizable, bigger name players that people start to see at ANWA, the NCAA championships, you know, that they, they have a little bit of a profile. But then the risk is they just get lost if, if they don't immediately get through Q school and Q series. And it's like, wait a second, what happened to so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? Um, I mean, honestly, Gabby Ruffles is somebody like that, which we, we're going to ask her about that as well. So, yeah, I, I think it's something that the LPGA should do. I, I hope it's on their radar, um, but we shall see. Big, interesting article about Rose from Golf Digest. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought the format was interesting. You know, the, the author um, spent a day at an art museum with Rose. I thought it was a, an interesting premise, I guess. Um, I think not a whole lot that I learned. I'm, I'm curious if, if you picked up anything reading the article. Uh, for folks that haven't seen it, it's about a week old. Uh, the author is Elizabeth Nelson, and it's a, it's a Golf Digest Plus cover story. So I, I'm very happy that, you know, hey, Rose is moving the needles. She's getting some good publicity. I think from my standpoint, not a whole lot of new territory, but curious if you had a different reaction. No, not a lot. I think she's proves to be insightful when she wants to be and and years uh, ahead of her time very mature i didn't say that i gleaned or learned anything new from it uh i was confused because I, when i first looked up elizabeth nelson and tried to find her her byline and figure out what is actually going on it was the first piece that she had written for golf digest but she has written a ton of work for the ringer and you go back and she she has some very, very, very well-written pieces there. Uh, I just don't think that it's, there's nothing really that jumped out that was different. Uh, you know, I, I didn't learn anything about her that's new. I guess I'm just glad, kind of like Sting and Zoolander, you know, I, I'm glad he's, they're out there doing it. Um, I think I'm sticking on the media. I, have you had a chance to watch? We, we've We've gotten a bunch of new of the LPGA drive on all access videos. Uh, I, I know you watched the Solheim cup one. Was there anything that stood out for you on, on that one? It was an okay effort of behind the scenes of the Solheim cup. I think it's one of those things. It's very hard to compare these. I think it's, we've talked about this in the past of what, what is exactly uh, the intent here. And if it's a, at times it feels like it's supposed to be a, you know, a look inside. And I know this one at the, the Solheim cup went way further than any of the other ones have gone so far this year with, with truly inside the room access. You had Gemma walking through and from the European side and kind of describing, you know, the hotel room setups and clothing and, and all the different team room uh, activities. And then you had Cheyenne on the other side doing the same and kind of walking through golf bag and the little knickknacks and everything that we think of and what it symbolizes. And you can see and, and feel their emotion as being part of the team. I think that when it came to the actual coverage of the Solheim cup, obviously people that did not catch the Solheim cup at the end, the score is just kind of the score, but I, I 
I feel like this episode specifically was a little bit over narrated. I think they they could have let the action kind of tell itself. And there's a, a lot of key dis- deciding factors within that week that that didn't even make the show. I specifically, uh, you know, in inside the episode, there was obviously a lot of emphasis put on Danielle and missing clubs and what's going on here and everything else like that. And the team coming around her and helping her out, which I think is a good story to tell. Then you jump ahead to kind of what the the week's activities and the team bonding aspect of it, and they're out to dinner, and then they're doing practice rounds and and truly trying to figure out what little you know who their partners and their squads are going to to be for the week, which I thought again was was great insight. And then they did a great little section with Justin Ray and talked about stats and kind of how the data is driving some of these pairings. And then we watched it play out and there was never really any feedback on the back end of like this, this is why this didn't work out. And I understand from us talking to Justin and his team and is like, you know, when, when you go out and you plan on, on a team that you're competing against to make four or five birdies around and they go out and make eight or nine, like it's very hard. Like the the numbers aren't going to help you out there. You know, what you happened just, was headwall. Headwall yeah, happened. You just get beat. <laughs> but there was also defining moments, uh, as I said, with within the, that week that just kind of were they they didn't put them in there at all. And I, and I'm not even saying because we were like a, a, a tiny bit uh, involved in this at all. But I think that truly, I look back at the momentum shift that that was, you know. The chip-in on 18 and what that chip-in did to Lexi and Lexi's response to that. And that whole element was completely ignored. Uh, And I understand they don't want to dig things up and everything else like that. But, But truly, I would love to know what happened inside the team room after that. What were the discussions? And And I know a lot of this. Uh, is hyper personal and everything else like that. But that was the design. That's when momentum truly switched, and you knew that this this is just this is too much. And then even through Sunday, when that wall and we talked about you know head wall coming, she's coming <laughs> like that 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 could have been you know give that that thing air to breathe, man, because that was a heck of a moment. And you just saw all these matches just start stacking on top of each other. Of, of blue out there and it just kind of it, it left me uh wanting a lot more i think that's very fair criticism especially on the leona mcguire chip in lexi flub chip that moment you know if 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 you're making a series called all access like you're exactly right. That's such a big defining moment of the whole week. And to not have anything from, listen, if if it's not from Lexi directly, from Stacy or anybody around the team. Or, or shit, the other talk, side, you know, Suzanne or, or anyone. I mean, you yeah. can go either side of it here. Um, the only other thing multimedia-wise wanted to flag for listeners, Molly Marcus-Saman. LPGA commissioner. She appeared actually it was around the Solheim cup on the podcast, the business case for women's sports. 
It's episode 60 is the specific episode talking to Molly. Um, I was really eager to listen to this and it's not bad. I, I just felt like maybe not a lot of juicy details. I felt like Molly, you know, given us a lot of good company lines and corporate speak. Uh, but I did think it was interesting. You know, she went into the purse growth, for instance, on the LPGA tour, I believe overall over the last two years, total amount of money being played for has gone up by like 54%. I want to say, uh, maybe not two years, maybe it was 10 years. I, I apologize. I, I didn't write down the exact time frame. Uh, so there were some like, eye-popping little nuggets, but it was a lot of like, you know, hey, we're not really digging or pressing, which is fine. Time and place for everything. Um, but if you want to hear Commissioner Marcus Simon, uh, I would encourage anybody to check out that podcast. I think that's case in point of somebody who is coming from a, you know, the business side of it, but but primarily focuses on all other women's professional and the business verticals that they support versus I think somebody coming in who is used to the LPGA tour has questions on specific LPGA tour things and, and can kind of drive in. I think a lot of that, uh, like us, I think we, you know, we need to put the invite out there big. I think there's a lot of things that we would love to, to run down on the record. For sure. For sure. I think we'll make that happen. I feel good. I feel good. Turning to the golf action. We last spoke. It was, it was after Dallas, the, it was going to be the start of the Asian swing. We've had a couple of tournaments now completed. Angel Yin got her first career LPGA victory a couple weeks back at the Buick LPGA Shanghai. She won in a playoff over Lilia Vu. Congratulations to Angel. It just feels like this has been coming for several months now. So I am very, very excited for Angel. And then last week, Minji Lee won the BMW Ladies Championship in Korea, her 10th career LPGA victory. Uh, Codeman, immediate thoughts, reactions, anything you want to get out into the world uh, on those two events. So pumped for Angel, finally getting that first LPGA Tour win. Nobody deserves a win out there more than she does. I hope this finally gets that little monkey off her back and she can just continue. Get number two. Hopefully, we're not waiting uh, as long as it took her to get number one. Awesome to see Lilia back up there. Uh, You know, bummed that she lost in a playoff, but I think Angel, very deserving champions, echoed across the, uh, you know, all of women's professional game. Uh, a T8 at the Buick for our own Madeline Sagstrom. LC's first trip to China, T21. Like seeing that. The following week, Minji wins in Korea. Uh, some form peaking here. Lydia Ko, solo third, like that big time. And LC following up that T20 finish with a T10 of her own. Um, Big stuff coming this week as we turn to the Maybank Championship in Kuala Lumpur. You ever been there, Big? Uh, no, I've never. I've never been anywhere in Asia. I, a quick <laughs> mea culpa to issue on Lilia Ko. Last Sunday's NLU podcast, I talked about her solo third, and she would earn CME points, and she's got to get in the top sixty. Well, it turns out as friend of the program Grant Boone, who knows everything about everything, uh, let me know via Twitter. So Lydia is actually competing in these Asian events under sponsor exemptions Correct. because 
of her poor season, she did not qualify uh, based on her play. So she's over there on sponsors exemptions, which the LPGA has instituted rules. If you are playing these events, because they're all limited field, if you're playing these events under sponsor exemptions, you are not eligible to receive CME points. So Lilia's third place actually is not a boost to her CME points for the year. And she, in all likelihood, barring a win at Gamebridge, will not be able to defend her crown at the Tour Championship, um, which is interesting. But I, I wanted to clarify that. I had not heard that rule before, but it makes total sense. So I appreciate Grant educating me and others like he always does. Yeah, um, it's wild to think about it, yeah. but true between her and Lexi, uh, a lot of these names that that we think of are like, oh yeah, you know, top top fifty player in the world. Well, not not the case right now. Uh, you said the Maybank this week. It's more primetime golf. I believe the TV windows are. 10 a or excuse me 10 p.m to 3 a.m eastern time on golf channel actually some nice windows out here for me on the west coast uh little nine 8 p.m to, to 1 a.m maybe i'm make a couple nights of it this weekend Ooh. so they go from malaysia they go to japan next week and then it's back to florida the game bridge and then the top 60 will go to the cme tour championship we, we are getting right down to the end of the season code man which means all the points based uh player of the year rookie of the year races um you know we're, we're getting right down to it lilia vu still holds a lead in the player of the year race she sits at 166 points that is 27 clear of Celine Boutier right now, who's in second. And then Runing Yin is in third with 133 points. You get 30 points for a victory. So if anybody wants to catch Lilia, specifically Celine and Runing, they're going to have to at least win once um, to cause any shakeups there. And then in the Rookie of the Year race, Heron Ru. Complete control. She's got 842 points on the year. Grace Kim is a distant second. You say, where's Rose? Where's Rose? Well, Rose is in fourth. She has 398 points. She just hasn't played that many event events. I, I think she's played now eight or nine events where Heron Ruz played 21 or 22 events. So Rose, in all likelihood, is not going to be your rookie of the year this year, which will be a, a fun little, you know, side note in history i think but um yeah i i guess i'd be shocked if anybody does run down lilia i, f I feel like no matter what the points say at the end of the year i think lilia is going to be my player of the year just by fact of winning two majors do you know the last american to be player of the year biggie i don't and if i had to guess right off the top of my head i would say was it was it stacy correct Stacy Lewis, 2014 Player of the Year. Uh, Lilia holding on crazy. tight there. I know, I know. It's it's very very weird. One Lexi, of course, right? Correct. But then you think Nelly. Yep. You know she hasn't. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Allison leads uh, the money list at 2.9 million dollars so far this year through 21 events. We like the game within the game. Aeon Risk Reward Challenge, number one in our hearts. Angel Yin still holding on to that first place 
spot. Of course, we know uh, Aon Risk Award. Doesn't matter if it's PGA Tour, LPGA Tour. Aon matching that. One million uh, on each side. So hopefully Angel can hold on to that. And then she won't have to be uh, worried <laughs> worried so much about uh, you know the cost of fuel in California. All right, my man. Like I said, uh, Maybank this week. Japan next week, and then GameBridge, and then we're at the Tour Championship. Anything else before we turn it over to the Gabby Ruffles interview? Uh, excited to hear from her. I think it's one thing that people heard from her and, and was tracking a couple years back when she won the U.S. Women's Am, and then she kind of just went MIA. COVID added to that, obviously. Uh, but I want to hear about the journey. Obviously cr- has been crushing it on the Epson tour and, and just excited to, you know, excited to get her full time on the LPJ tour. Amen. Good interview. Stick around. Gabby's the best. Thank you all for listening. Cody and I will be back in uh, what a couple weeks here for another special LPGA episode until then everybody take care. Now here's our interview with Gabby Ruffles. She was the 2019 U.S. Amateur Champion, the 2020 U.S. Amateur Runner-Up. She won three times this year on the Epson Tour, which has secured her LPGA Tour card for 2024. Gabby, great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on the show. Good morning. First question, where do we find you? Where in the world are you these days? Yes, good morning. Um, I'm in California at the moment. I'm in Palm Springs. It's where my parents live. Um, it's so nice right here right now, and I'm enjoying kind of my off-season um, in this beautiful place. It truly is a nice off-season for you because I'm just thinking, you know, obviously the Epson Tour wrapped up. Uh, the LPGA season is coming to a close. They're on a bit of an Asian swing. So you, you do have a nice what, – what's next for you? Are you going to go down to Australia this winter and play any events down there? Yes. Yeah, I have a couple weeks off um, right now, and then I'll play the TaylorMade Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which is one of my favorite – tournaments of the year and then after that i'll go to australia and play the australian open in sydney and then the cathedral invitational which is kind of a smaller event um that they're just trying to get started um right after the australian open and then have a little bit of a vacation in australia and then come back here for christmas so looking forward to it what a what a life did you play in the (laughs) cathedral last year I did. Yes. It was their first year last year. One of, the only reason why I know this is because one of my buddies is a uh, place professional, but he's in the adaptive category, Mike Brown. So he's a, a Brit. I know he played in the cathedral last year and played in the Aussie Open's amazing. I, I talked about this in the first part of this, but the fact that it's one tournament with three tournaments going on all at the same time, it, it's truly phenomenal, but excited for you to get back to Australia. I'm sure you're excited. Um, but up until that time, like, how do you stay, what are you doing to stay current? How do you keep your game sharp? You just playing money games around the club or, or are you truly taking time off? I've kind of been forced to truly take some time off because, um, I mean, the course that my parents are at, I mean, most courses in the desert right now are closed for overseeding, um, to get prepared for the season. So, a lot of them are closed. I have found, you know, a good facility at PGA West where I've just been kind of practicing. They've allowed me to kind of go out and practice. But I mean, the course that I'm looking at now from my parents' backyard is currently closed. So um, I definitely haven't been doing as much practice as what I normally have. But I mean, I still have three events left for the season. So still trying to, I guess, keep my game sharp a little bit. 
Well, let's, uh, if, if you don't mind, I would like to turn the clock back a little to the end of 2022. And I know this is a subject you've talked about, but could you walk us through um, the end of your 2022 Epson season and kind of how you came about to be full-time Epson in 2023? Uh, and then uh, there's some things I'd like to ask you in there, but if, if you don't mind, could you just kind of quickly walk us through the last couple years and, uh, your experience on the Epson tour? Yeah. So 2022 was my, I guess, rookie year on the Epson tour, you know, learned a lot, played pretty good, came 15th on the money list, um, and top 10 get their cards. So I just missed out. Um, and then so top 35 on the Epson Tour money list get into Q Series at the end of the year, which is the final stage for LPGA qualifying school. And so I, you know, I was excited to go to Q Series. I had qualified through the Epson Tour. And then um, I can kind of go into detail, but um, I was driving to a practice round to do a practice round early for the Q Series in Alabama. So from Orlando. So I had driven seven and a half hours. And it was just a thought as soon as I got, I was like five minutes away from the practice round uh, or the, the course. And I had a thought, I was like, um, I haven't entered for Q series yet. I wonder if the, you know, entry deadline's coming up or when that is. And I haven't, you know, paid or registered yet. And so I stopped at a nearby gas station five minutes away from the course. And then I looked at my app and it said, you have not entered in like red bold. <laughs> and so I was like, no, this cannot be good. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I found out. So I, um, I did not enter Q series. I missed the entry deadline and yeah, it was a long seven and a half hours home. That's for sure. To Orlando. I just kind of made a straight U-turn and drove, drove back home. Um, but you know what? I mean, I can laugh at it now. You know, it's funny now, but I guess, you know, all in all, it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I really had a great year this year and learned a lot on the Epson tour. So um, all in all, I can, yeah, I can laugh at it now, I guess. <laughs> How? So two things. One, that reminds me, you're not alone in that. I, I My senior year of college, uh, it was a few weeks before graduation. And uh, you know, my parents, my grandparents are coming and I'm like the most disorganized person. And I'm like, Oh God, I feel like I need to like go register for graduation. Like I'm sure there's official things I need to do. So I go down to the registrar's office. I say, Hey, I need to like, I'm graduating. I need to sign up, do whatever I need to do. And the lady's like, okay, what's your name? I tell her my name. Um, she comes back and she's like, well, um, you're not going to be graduating because you are two credits short. And I was like, really? Oh. <laughs> so that was, uh, I, I, I know what you're going through that, that initial, like, Oh damn, I, I wish. Hmm. Okay. Um, but I, I, I don't mean to make light of your situation because I, I wanted to ask you in all seriousness, like how, how quickly did you try to flip your mindset? Like, it, it really seems like you made the most of it and embraced this year back on the Epson tour. Uh, obviously you had a phenomenal year, won three times, made what, 13 out of 14 cuts. Was that something you very consciously did and how quickly did you kind of shift mindsets and say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm going to accept it and I'm going to make the most of it. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, obviously, it was a long seven and a half hours home, and I had a lot of time to think. Um, made a lot of phone calls to people, and um, I actually did kind of get over it pretty quickly. You know, I had a great, um, I guess, conversation to my dad, and what we kind of spoke about was, you know, it's just about improving your standard of golf and if you can improve yourself and your standard of golf then you'll get there like you'll eventually get to the LPGA and it's just all about you know that it's not worrying about you know if it's now or or later and and I needed to improve you know I came 15th on the on the money list it wasn't it wasn't good enough you know to be on the LPGA and I, I had to earn it and so I think that kind of conversation with my dad has really kind of been, I guess, the motto this year is really trying to improve myself and my standard. And then, you know, I guess um, everything else kind of takes care of itself, which is kind of, I guess, what happened this year. And then now I have my LPGA card for next year. So it all kind of worked out. When you talk about improving your standard, were there certain things in terms of your golf game that you really keyed in on uh, last off season prior to this year? I'm, I'm curious how you went about raising your standard? I kind of went back to, I guess, my college days and my amateur days and how I enjoyed playing golf. And I kind of went back to keeping it more simple, which is how I've always enjoyed doing it um, ever since I started at 15. And I kind of went back to that. I think when I first turned pro, I tried to be a pro, I guess, and kind of change some things that I don't think I really, I guess, needed to change and added a few things here and there. And whereas what I I feel like I've kind of learned this year is just trying to be more, you know, myself and and trust, trust myself and what I was doing and knowing that um, it was good enough, you know, before. And um, I feel like that's kind of what I've gone back to this year and worked super hard on, you know, a few different things. But um, yeah, just trying to just kept it simple, which I've really enjoyed. Do you think there, do you think learning to win is a thing? Did, did you experience any of that this year? Is, is kind of the process of winning tournaments, is, is that a real thing? For sure. And I think it's, you know, something that's priceless and you can't be taught in hours and hours of practice. Um, you know, I wasn't really in contention that much in 2021 when I turned pro, 2022 as well on the Epson Tour. And probably maybe once or twice in the past, you know, couple of years between 2021 and 2022. So, I mean, learning, learning how to win, I definitely think is a real thing, you know, being, you know, in the thick of it on a Sunday um, and trying to maintain that lead over four rounds. It's, it's tough mentally, physically, you know, you don't know how you're going to handle it until you're in it. And, you know, as I said, no amount of practice can, can teach you that. And um, getting my first win in, in Phoenix, that was that was huge and kind of gave me the confidence to know that I can close it out and um, I can, I guess, perform under a pressure situation when I'm trying to win and want to win. And um, I think that kind of um, was super beneficial to me in my next two wins and then getting that confidence. So hopefully I can kind of um, transfer that uh, winning mentality next year. Did anything surprise you about your season this year on the Epson Tour? Hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, being number one on the money list for that whole kind of, I won the second tournament of the year. Um, and then just kind of maintaining the number one spot on the money list, um, throughout the whole year 
um, I guess it did, it did kind of surprise me. I was never in that situation before. And then, um, always kind of admired the people that did that in the past and winning three times, you know, I, I looked at players like Lilia Vu and, um, Patty Tevitanica who had done that before and always looked at that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's really cool. You know, they're, they're really doing well. And then to kind of look back on this season and be like, Hey, I did that. That's, you know, that's pretty cool. Um, so I'd say that, that was, I guess, kind of surprising. Um, but, uh, yeah, super grateful for it all. Was it difficult at all? Because you said you you won the second event in the season and, and really from an outsider's perspective, Gabby, I mean, you were in kind of total control of the Epson tour money list this year. Was it hard to kind of stay in the moment? Did you catch yourself at all thinking about, you know, because I, I believe you clinched your tour card officially in August, but even a month or, or two prior to that, it was like, yeah, you know, you're going to have one of the top 10 spots. It's just a matter of where maybe, uh, w- was it hard to maybe stay in the moment a little bit? Did you ever catch yourself, you know, thinking a little bit forward? Yeah. I mean, I guess a little bit, but I guess a funny thing was about this year is that I never looked at the, I guess the official money list the whole year. Um, except for, you know, at the, at the last event. And I never knew like where people were at or anything like that, because I mean, as I kind of spoke to, I guess, going back to that conversation with my dad, it was just about improving my standard and kind of focusing on, on myself and trying to improve my own game. And then everything else is just kind of everything else is something that I can't really control. So, um, never really, never looked at the money list. And I thought that was something pretty powerful and, um, you know, just trying to focus on myself and what I could do. And um, I guess that never really kind of got in the way. Playing good golf all year long and you're, you're focusing obviously on your Epson season. But at the same time, when you insert major championships into the middle of it and you played very good at both KPMG and the U.S. Women's Open, I wonder if you can talk about them and where they fell at in the season for you, if that kind of helped a little bit, because I think it, it probably provided a little bit of good separation before we get to the latter half and sponsors invites start coming and everything else. Yeah. So I got a sponsor exemption into the KPMG. Um, I think like seven or eight events into the Epson season. Um, after I had just won, I think my second, second Epson event. Um, so that was like, it came a week before the actual event. So it was kind of a, a surprising one. I think I qualified for the U S open a little bit before that. So I already knew that I had U S open, but yeah, so KPMG and U S open are, were back to back events this year for the LPGA. So it was quite, it was quite a intimidating stretch, I guess, um, going from the Epson tour to, to two majors. Um, but no, that was so, so super cool. I was so grateful to get that sponsor exemption into a major. I mean, when does that when does that ever happen? And it was at Baltusrol, which is one of the most, I guess, prestigious golf courses in the U.S. Um, so that was a super, super cool week. And it didn't start off great at the KPMG. I kind of had a rough front nine. I think I was like four over through nine, but then brought it back and ended up making the cut and had a pretty good, uh, pretty good first KPMG. And then U.S. Open was obviously amazing as well at Pebble Beach. These venues that we're getting are absolutely crazy. Um, so that was a really, really cool two-week stretch and definitely learned a lot. Last thing on the on Epson Tour, and then we I'd, I'd love to kind of look forward to 2024 a bit. 
what's the hardest thing about the Epson tour? And I, I, I guess my question is, you know, it, it's, is it the travel? Um, yeah. Randy's it, amazed that people are like, wait a second. We, so we got like a hundred women going to battle Creek, Michigan, and then we're staying in Michigan and then we're going to some weird spot in Kansas. How does all this make sense? How are they getting there? Like, what is, what are the logistical constraints that are happening yes. here? And, and how did you travel? You know, is it a lot of time in the car? Are you traveling with a team or parents or friends? I, I'm just curious how that week-to-week experience in between tournaments is on the Epson Tour. Yeah, they're definitely very remote locations, like you said. <laughs> Some of the places I have never been to before, and they were very, very hard to get to. I mean, we went to, like, French Lick, Indiana, and Garden City, Kansas. and Yeah, <laughs> it's not places. like you're flying into just major airports. No, right. no, definitely not. They were, I mean, that's kind of part of the Epson Tours. They're very, very remote locations. And um, the travel is not easy, to be honest. It's really, really not easy. And I don't think the girls on the Epson Tour get enough credit for <laughs> all the travel that has to be done. Um, but I guess a lot of girls drive, um, you know, to kind of save cost and they try and make it so there's like a two, three week stretch where you can drive to them and then kind of drive what, eight to 12 hours to the next one. So a lot of girls do that. I did not do that. Um, I, you know, I'm lucky to have a base in the U.S. So I would kind of come back here and then be able to fly out of Palm Springs or Orlando. Um, and a lot of girls do travel together. I was lucky enough to be able to travel with my mom. My mom came out with me to a lot of the tournaments and caddied actually. So that was a, that was a little bit there. Yeah. So I, um, I had her on the bag and had her to travel with and cook me dinners and get everything organized. So that was definitely a huge, um, huge asset. I feel like to my year that when, okay. When does mom stop for her and when does like caddy pick up and I'm sure there's like multiple other forms of your guys's relationships between, you know, a friendship, a confidant, everything else in between. But like, are there clear lines in that relationship or is it just like, yeah, just come on, mom, we got to go to the course. We're going to like, I'm not going to have my warm up time now if, if you're late. No, right. No. Yeah. She's great. You know, I'm lucky with both of my parents because they were both professional tennis players. So they know, you know, they, they know the ins and outs of sports. So they're not, you know, just kind of like going shopping or like, <laughs> of course. Just, you know, you like don't, don't know what's going on. Get, but out, they, they know. get out of the pro shop. What are we doing? <laughs> right, right, right. They know the dedication and, um, that is involved and, in, you know, an athlete and, no, she's she, she's been great. She's been pivotal to this year and last. And I mean, she doesn't really say much out there. She's a tennis player, um, pretty good golfer, but a tennis player. So she kind of knows her boundaries, I guess. Um, but she does. She helped me with the wind a couple times, um, a couple a couple reads here and there. I'll give her that on the greens. Um, but. No, no, she was great. It definitely helped physically because she was able to kind of push the cart. And a lot of girls actually on the Epson tour have their parents out caddying, which uh, which really helps. Man, what is was- is uh, tennis? Is it harder to be tennis mom or to be golf mom for her? Because I know we haven't even touched it yet, but you're you obviously come <laughs> from a very you know prolific tennis family. You and your brother played tennis as well, highly competitive tennis, but. Uh, were they more intense watching you guys on the court or actually watching you guys out playing golf? 
That's a great question. Um, like you said, <laughs> she's experienced both. Um, but I think, I think they've said that golf is a more relaxing sport for them to watch That's because nice. you're, you know, you're out with nature, you know, you get to go to places like Baltusrol and Pebble Beach, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not bad. Garden not City, bad Longwood, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. We didn't mention those. Right. <laughs> um, but no, I think I think golf is definitely a much more relaxing, calm sport for them. Tennis is quite intense, and that was you know something that drove me out of the sport. And um, I know tennis parents can be kind of brutal and intense. So um, yeah, I'd say I'd say they they're enjoying having my brother and I in golf for sure. As we Gabby, as we look forward to next year. Um, I'd love to start here. How do, how do you think about your golf game? What what do you consider your relative strengths? Do you have any you know areas where you're like, okay, I really need to work these next few weeks or or months before 2024 begins? I, I'm curious how you would describe your golf game. Yeah, I would say um, some of my strengths would be my long game. Um, I'd say my driver and my irons, my iron play, I feel like I'm a pretty, pretty good ball striker. Um, I'd say, you know, what I learned in the majors and I guess what separates me from, you know, the really top girls and the girls that are winning and contending in majors is probably like the short game aspect of it. The, the pitching, the chipping and the putting, just getting that a little bit more sharp. Um, cause the girls out there, they're so good inside, hundred yards and they're, you know, getting so many of those up and down. And, um, I just really think that I need to improve that part and putting as well. Um, you know, that's where the scoring happens, I feel like. So for me to be able to, I guess, like contend and, um, you know, in tournaments like that and really, really tough, challenging, uh, venues like those, I feel like that is going to, you know, have to improve. And I feel like that's, yeah, that's what I've been kind of focusing on this, um, these past couple of weeks. Gabby's been studying her KPMG performance insights because that's exactly what they say as well. So kudos for you. Are you a big uh, like stats player? Is that something that you look at? Are you tracking all these things? How do you kind of go about your your rounds of competitive golf? No, I'm not a big stats person. Maybe I should be. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> well, you're already on the right page. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I'm looking at your profile right now on the website, and it's oh, really? everything that you said matches exactly what you described. Oh. Wow, interesting. There we go. Knows so, her game. Um, yeah, that's excellent. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said before, I just try and keep things simple. I feel like I can really tell after a round of golf what I need to work on, and and kind of observe other girls and how they're you know, playing better than me or what I'm doing, I guess, better than them. Um, but obviously stats are great. And maybe, maybe I'll get more into that next year when we do have stats, um, on the LPGA a little bit more. So, um, yeah, but I just try and keep it simple, I guess. And I guess I do know my game. So there we go. (laughs) Do you, from, from, a from my perspective where I sit, Gabby, I always feel like your game and maybe just your temperament too is really situated for difficult golf courses and you've had what i say a ton of success in majors already at least in terms of made cuts you know being there uh all four rounds gaining that experience do you enjoy like when 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 the test gets more difficult do you feel like 
that gives you an, a little bit of an advantage. Do you, do you enjoy difficult golf? Yeah, no, I definitely feel like I do. And I feel like I've, um, kind of, I guess, shown that a little bit in the past with us amateurs and stuff, kind of like the, the biggest test. And I feel like, um, uh, my mental game is probably one of my strengths as well. Um, and I guess temperament as well. I kind of try and remain pretty balanced and even, um, out there. And I feel like that does help me and helps me kind of get through these, these tough, you know, challenging courses. And I do, I do really, really enjoy the challenge because I know that scores are not going to be too low and it's not like a birdie fest out there. So you kind of have to just, um, you know, remain even. And, um, also ball striking, I feel like are, is a huge component on tough golf courses. So cars are good out there and just kind of hitting a lot of greens, remaining steady are really good on, you know, is really good on courses like that. And I feel like that's one of my strengths. So, um, yeah, I definitely look forward to, I guess the, the tougher courses and venues and, and challenges. Do you think your time playing tennis, uh, and, and again, just for those that might not know uh gabby played really uh from the time you were very young up until what 14 15 uh you played high level junior tennis in australia and competed in international tournaments how much do you draw on maybe that tennis experience and and does anything with the mindset that has it helped you in your golf career Yes, for sure. I would say so. A lot of people ask me if I would trade, I guess, my tennis years and have started golf earlier, but um, I would say no. I feel like it's definitely helped me, um, especially with the the mental side of things, for sure, and just knowing um, knowing how to work, you know, the work ethic, the competitiveness. Um, and I feel like when I stopped playing tennis, I was just so used to that really intense work ethic. And I feel like I kind of transferred that into golf. And yeah, I definitely, you know, feel like that's, that's helped me. And uh, the competitive side of things, you know, learning, you know, how to close out a match, how to win, um, you know, how to remain, remain level out there. You know, it's all, I feel like all sports can kind of correlate mentally for sure. And, you know, that's also why I kind of draw on my parents' experiences with their tennis. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of it, definitely correlates. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my, my tennis years and, um, definitely feel like it's helped me. When did you actually start playing golf? Cause this, this has always blown my mind because if, it I, if you look me, I, I don't even want to hear what year did you start playing? <laughs> okay. So I, <laughs> I played my first 18 holes in December, 2014. See that so that's, was, it's yeah. insane to think it's, about. It's really insane. Yeah, and I, I mean I played a little bit like growing up but never played 18 holes and when I started I was using my dad's clubs um when I was 15. I didn't have my own set. Um I think I got my own set when I was 15. It's been a quick progression, I guess. The, yeah, that's it's crazy to think about. So from, you really started playing golf full time in 2015, and then if we if we leapfrog for, forward, like you won the USAM in 2019, but in between that time, you're already playing in like major amateur events back in Australia, traveling all over the place. How did you pick the game up so fast? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of being around golf with my brother. My brother started playing golf before I did, maybe like. 
five, seven years before I did. So I was always around it. I knew, I knew what was going on. I knew what a birdie par, everything like right. that was like, I knew what was going on. Did it make him mad? Your progression? I don't know. I can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I haven't really asked him, but no, he's super supportive. I know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, and I think also kind of going back to my tennis was that I had that super hard work ethic from tennis because I was putting in the hours, long, long days for tennis. And then when I stopped playing tennis, um, I was so used to being active and then um, just kind of transferred that work ethic and the long days, I guess, into golf. Yeah, I worked super hard. I was at the golf course like all day, um, every day. And um, yeah, I, feel, I definitely feel like that you know, just, I guess the long hours has really, really helped me progress super quick. Gabby, are you a goal setter? I, and if so, have you thought about 2024 yet? And, and what, you know, a successful rookie season might look like for you? Yeah. Um, I've never really set goals to be honest. Um, I know that's kind of different to what a lot of people, you know, do. And, I never really have. And I just kind of, I guess I keep going back to um, the conversation with my dad, but it's always just been about trying to improve, you know, myself and and my standard and um, whatever happens, happens. And I just kind of put that like in a basket where like I can't control that. And, um, and I guess for a lot of people, like setting goals is to do with motivation to kind of get yourself up, get yourself up every morning and try and go out there and, you know, go to the gym and go practice and everything. But I truly enjoy that um, just myself. And um, I feel like motivation is definitely there. And I'm always just trying to improve myself. And I guess whatever happens, happens. And the, re- the results, I guess, kind of take care of itself. So never been a huge goal setter. Um, and yeah, I guess that kind of goes back to just trying to keep things simple. <laughs> if you were not playing professional golf, what would you be doing? Mm, like, okay. Like in my Anything. career? Yeah. It, say I'm taking, you, you cannot play professional golf. What is Gabby ever Ruffles again. doing ever again? What are you doing with your life? That'd be sad. It would be, I don't know. It would be sad, but I'm trying to see if there's any other, what, what are the hobbies, other influences, other things going on that, that excites you that you are, are passionate about in your life? Because I know golf is front and, and center there, but I'm always curious to see because some people are like, well, I'm, you know, I would like to, to start a business. I would like to, you know, help uh, rescue animals or something like that. I always find it so interesting to see because you guys get to see all different places of the world and you have so many different influences that you pick up through travels. And it's always so interesting to see what people pick up and carry on with them. Yeah. I mean, I love sports and I also love um, fashion and fashion and sports. And I was doing like a little master's program. No longer. I mean, it sounds very impressive, but no longer. Um, I couldn't keep up with it. But I was doing like a little master's course in fashion, in fashion design. And I love that kind of aspect of it. And I'd love to one day, um, you know, have... Uh, a brand or a brand from Nike and try and design um, just gonna say golf. that yeah yeah golf clothing um, for women especially I feel like that kind of space can really improve I love and I would love I'm really interested in stuff like that and um, yeah this makes me think maybe I should pick up that master's course again <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I can't wait to see the Gabby Ruffles line by Nike. Uh, I have three little girls, and I know this is the the rare uh, major championship that you are disappointed in that you did not make the cut at, but we followed you around Pine Needles, and uh, all three of my little, little girls, and they're always like, wow, Daddy, her hair is so pretty. Her braid is... <laughs> they were obsessed about the braids and the uh, visors that you were wearing. And they have have yet to put that down. So you have three big fans, at least in this household, uh, that I know are going to root you on for a long, long time to come. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I love I love all that stuff, and I love you know all the outfits that Nike does, and um, all that fascinates me. So I'm glad. <laughs> well, wonderful, Gabby. We we really really appreciate you taking the time uh, during your off season. We we really enjoy speaking with you and wish you nothing but the best of luck not only this winter down under but certainly as you get started in earnest in 2024 out on the lpga thank you guys thanks so much for having me be the right club be the right club today yeah. i mean that's better than most how about in that is better than most Better than most! 